Our scripture reading today comes from 1 John 4, 7 to the first part of 17. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to have love for each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we may live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello. Um, today, we are going to have a little bit of a class, or it's going to feel a little bit like a class. That's why I have this fancy TV um, with me. I'm super excited about it. I think uh, today will be, I hope, a really important and helpful day in our journey through emotionally spirituality for the next few weeks and over the last couple of weeks. Um, the stuff we're going to talk about today, I learned a couple of years ago. And um, you know those things that just sort of, I don't know, maybe somebody tells you about them and then they sort of take you or move you a few step backs and you have a different viewpoint, you have a different way of looking at things and you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. That's how today, uh, what we're going to talk about today feels like for me. Um, for example, I've told this story before, but it's funny, so don't stop me. Um, a few years ago, by a few years ago, I mean a lot of years ago, I went on a college visit in high school, and I went to visit Auburn University, and I was walking into the student center at Auburn, and there were some letters written, there were a whole bunch of doors at the front of the student center, and there were letters written on all of the doors, and I uh, stood and stared at the doors, and I was trying to figure out what they said, and I remember saying there, and for whatever reason, out loud, I said, uh... Homakami, homakami, and I could not figure out what word was spelled out, and so I just kept saying a homakami, and then somebody yelled out, "It's homecoming, you dumb!" Well, I'm not gonna finish the sentence because he used a bowling word instead of a church word, but he just yelled it at me, and I was like, "Oh." That's right, I wasn't even mad at him for cussing at me because as I took a few steps back away from the doors, I realized that very clearly it read homecoming. Um, that's what I'm hoping to do today um, about our journey with Jesus. That's how this uh, thing that we're about to talk about called the critical journey, um, that's what it was for me. This uh, A few steps back to look at a life following Jesus, to look at the process of emotionally healthy spirituality um, and kind Kind of look at things from a different viewpoint or a different vantage point. Um, there's a pastor I love and, or I really respect uh, in Portland, Oregon, and he his name's John Mark Comer, and he 
when he's talking about following Jesus or a journey with Jesus, he pretty much always calls it an apprenticeship. And I think that word is so good, apprenticeship. Um, To be an apprentice of someone means to follow in someone's footsteps in order to learn from them how they do what they do, why they do what they do, uh, the way those things play out. And you learn all of these things in hopes of recreating those things. And so being an apprentice of Jesus just means the same thing. Following Jesus is a a journey of apprenticeship, a journey of, of learning to live a life toward Jesus, like Jesus, from Jesus. Um, and so we're going to look at this today at the stages of faith, um, the stages and seasons of that journey of that apprenticeship, um, the stages and seasons of following Jesus. If you have uh, wrestled with your faith uh, over the last few years and you and I have met and talked about that, then it's very likely that I have written this journey out for you on a napkin or whatever I could find, because um, I just think it's really helpful. So um, here we go. This is what we're going to talk about today. It's um, something lots of uh, teachers call it The Critical Journey. There's a great book called The Critical Journey um, by a lady named Janet Hagberg and um, a man named Robert Gulick. And uh, we'll put the link to that in the notes. Um, but so here's what we're going to do today. It's um, We're going to get this slide up here and it is, we're going to call it the stages of apprenticeship. It's it's the same idea as the critical journey. Um, the stages of apprenticeship, a look at the stages of faith, at what a whole life of faith looks like. Um, when we do things like this, when we kind of take a step back and look at developmental things or stages or seasons, when, when those sorts of studies are used really well, then they give us a chance to think critically while um, offering us grace and a wider vision for other people and grace and a wider vision for ourselves. So I hope that's what will happen. Um, Before we jump directly into the stages, I want to talk about a couple of things. First, um, I like calling these seasons instead of stages. Um, I'll probably use those words interchangeably as we go on. Um, But I like seasons because seasons come to us. It feels less like something we have to earn and more like something that happens to us, comes to us like winter, spring, summer, and fall. Uh, We don't will ourselves into them. They are things that we uh, kind of wake up and realize that that we're in. Um, uh, These stages that we're going to talk about, I like calling them seasons because um, seasons aren't a checklist. They're an observation, right? Um, And I also like seasons because it takes away rank and it takes away hierarchy. Like, to be fair, I like fall better than the rest of the seasons, but like earth doesn't, you know, everything's dying in the fall. Um, According to earth and things that are living, um, it takes every single season, every single stage, every single season in order to um, produce growth and produce life. And and so uh, it kind of takes away the hierarchy, which I like, um, because being in stage one or stage five, whatever we talk about today, it isn't about hierarchy. This is about observation and it's about development and it's about waking up and seeing things um, in maybe a different way. And then also it's it's this idea that we're not in complete control of our movements in seasons, right? in these stages we're going to talk about, we have a role to play in every single one of them. But part of being an apprentice to Jesus um, assumes a relinquishing of control to the Spirit of God at work in us and at work through us. So uh, this, it's not like a linear shame-based, you should be somewhere else and you got to be in a different stage than you are, a different season than you are. Um, this is a, hopefully just like a helpful, it's good to know where you are when we're talking about emotionally healthy spirituality. And it's also good to know what's possible, good to know where you could go or uh, where you're going. Um, finally, like seasons, we can't skip them 
right? I can't skip from fall to spring. I have to have winter in order to get to spring. Uh, these stages that we're gonna talk about, these seasons, they all build on each other. They require each other. We can't skip them um, to fully develop as a, an apprentice of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Um, and then my final tidbit before we get started, um, this conversation that we're having, this might be really, really helpful to you. Um, and you may want more information. It may lead to more questions than answers. And if so, please contact me. I would love to talk about it. Maybe we'll have a few people and we can find a way to ask questions together or something like that. Um, it also might not be interesting or helpful at all. And I just want you to know that that is really fine. Um, I've heard it said that things like this, when we teach them, they are biographical more than they're biblical. Meaning there's not a chapter and a verse in the Bible that says this is the this is the exact stages of faith. Um, in the back of your Bible, you're not going to find this chart along with the maps. Um, now, I could argue that this is absolutely all over the Bible, that it is uh, biblical in so many ways. For me, um, understanding these stages opened up uh, my eyes and they stirred my heart in new ways for what I saw in the Bible, and what I read in the Bible, and all of those things. So maybe it's helpful, maybe it's not. Either way, it's great. Um, okay, first I'm gonna just kind of do a quick flyover of the stages and then we'll go one by one and talk about uh, what they are, the great parts of them, the tough parts of them, all that kind of stuff. So uh, the first stage we have is stage one uh, or season one, and uh, this is called awakening. We move to stage two, discipleship, uh, then action. And then after action, we see inward in the wall. And these two things, you can see they're kind of close together. They're a bit tied together. We'll uh, untangle that a little bit as we talk about it. Um, but it's good to think of these things uh, in a similar place. And then we have stage five, which is, oh, sorry, stage four is inward. Then uh, stage five is outward. And then uh, we end up in love in season six or stage six. So uh, let's start with one. Season one, stage one, um, awakening. Also, it's called uh, the life-changing awareness of God stage. Um, evangelicals would uh, describe this stage as getting saved or um, a salvation, a time when you prayed a prayer and accepted Jesus in your heart. I don't, I don't know your wording. Um, uh, more liturgical Protestants or Catholics, they would say that this stage begins with baptism. And um, maybe all of those are good words and examples for it. But my favorite way to talk about um, this beginning stage in our apprenticeship with Jesus is to say that this is the stage where we wake up to the power and the love of Jesus. Uh, and to me, it's not necessarily a one-time thing. I say this a lot around here. I wasn't explicitly taught this growing up, so I think it's important to say it a lot. We never really leave stage one. Like I said, these things are all gonna build on each other. Uh, this isn't something we ever really leave. We are, uh, if we are following Jesus, then we are always waking up uh, to a deeper awareness of Jesus, uh, a more life-changing awareness of Jesus. This moment or season is, is the point in our life, though, that we can uh, pinpoint the beginning of our journey with Jesus, the beginning of our curiosity and, um, and life-changing um, awareness of God. Uh, this moment where we woke up to the reality of Jesus and our own reality, His mercy and our need for it, His love and our need for it, His grace and our need for it. This is the moment that we kind of choose to live a life toward Jesus. Um, stage two or season two is discipleship. 
Uh, this is the season of life uh, where we truly start to become that apprentice of Jesus. Um, it's characterized by a hunger and a thirst uh, to learn. It's it's marked by like holy, holy curiosity to learn um, who God is, what he's about, what it means to follow Jesus, um, to experience the power of the spirit, to learn about the kingdom of God. Uh, my friend, I have a dear friend, Brooke, who talks about, she, she became a Christian in high school. And she says she became a Christian and then almost immediately, uh, uh, she just started reading the Bible constantly. Like she she struggled to do anything other than read the Bible. Like I think she did really bad in her classes at the end of high school, but she read the Bible cover to cover like over and over again. Um, that's what stage two looked like for her. That's, that's not what it looks like for everybody. It's just an example for her. I wouldn't say that I experienced uh, this or do experience this the same way. Um, but it's a season that's marked by learning and it's marked by community. Uh, this is the point in our faith journey when uh, we become rooted in the disciplines and the practices of faith. And also it's a time um, that we find ourselves rooted in a community, a, a church and or a small group. Uh, if you're involved in Young Life, it's campaigners. It's, it's, it's rooted uh, in a, a group of people who are all following, uh, trying to follow in the same direction, trying to follow the same person. Um, one of the kind of bummers of stage two is that um, it, this is also a place where we can become a bit rigid in our thoughts and our knowledge. It, there's a lot of kind of black and white thinking, uh, in and out thinking, um, an us and them kind of thinking that can kind of be one of the other markers of this season or this stage. Um, next, we have stage three or season three, um, which is often, it, we are, we're calling it action. It, it's called the active life or the productive life. Um, this is the doing stage of following Jesus. It's the time when, um, when we take learning about Jesus and we transition it into an awareness of the work of the kingdom of God and our role in the work of the kingdom of God. It's uh, waking up, in a sense, to the, the needs of the church, to the needs of the people in it, to the needs of, uh, the pe of people all over the world or in our worlds and communities. It's... Um, this stage or season of action, it's a season of calling and contribution and, and productivity. Uh, I love this stage. We, we like this stage. It's, it feels good. It's energetic and it's electric at times. There's like a buzz to stage three. And um, it's here in this season that we uh, get involved in actively working for God and serving him and in serving his people. It's uh, here that a lot of, uh, of uh, something that we say a lot around here, starts to take root. The idea that we were made on purpose for purpose. Season three is when this really starts to come alive uh, for us. The idea that God has invited us to join him in his work of renewal all over the world and all over our own worlds. Um, one of kind of the bummers of stage three, though, is that for all its buzz and all of its energy, it also can be a bit anxious, um, a bit hurried. It has uh, uh, stage three in it, it's sort of... Um, Shadow side has uh, really high expectations for everybody else to be in the same place, to every for everybody else to feel uh, called to serve similarly. There's there's a bit of anxiety uh, uh, around how we experience other people who may not quite be in this stage. So uh, then we move on uh, to stage four or to season four, uh, which is the inward journey and also the wall, this sort of combo stage. Um, 
as you notice, the two of them are um, very, very closely related. Uh, the wall is, uh, is a thing that we will all find ourselves, we all either have found ourselves in or will find ourselves smashing into. It's what um, my fa a favorite cultural theologian of mine, Jay-Z, calls hard knocks. Uh, theologians of the Bible <laughs> call it the dark night of the soul. Um, and sometimes it's confusing what the wall is. Sometimes we think of trials and we think of this dark night of the soul and it's hard to know the difference. Walls aren't trials. Trials are things that, that happen to us that are tricky. Um, things like bad traffic, what I had on my way to come film today. Um, things like difficult bosses or coworkers. Uh, trials are like when your car breaks down and then so does your dishwasher, but then you have to pay for baseball for your kids. Don't know if that's autobiographical for anyone else. Um, but walls are something a bit deeper than that. Walls are trials on a soul level. Um, the Psalms call the, call the wall uh, the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, the wall, it's, it's a pain that we can't get around, uh, a pain that we can't reframe, a pain that we can't put a pretty face on no matter how hard uh, we try or how much faith we have. Uh, we see walls all over the scriptures. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, uh, we watch them waiting at the wall for 25 years on a baby. And then we see Abraham experiencing a wall again with Ishmael and again with Isaac. Um, Walls are David in the desert running from Saul for 13 years. It's uh, the disciples standing at the crucifixion, uh, confused, hopeless, dreams shattered. Uh, it's Job losing his 10 children, his health, and all of his possessions all in one day. Uh, walls in our life uh, look similar. Walls are um, something that happens to us, uh, in us or outside of us, health problems, or a diagnosis that is unexpected and scary, or health problems without a diagnosis sometimes, uh, that's just as bad or worse. Their walls are death, divorce, depression, uh, deep anxiety, a moral failure of yours or someone you love. These, they are the events that shatter the ground underneath us, the, the events that knock our legs out from under us. And sometimes, like the ones I've just mentioned, they are really big and clear events. And then sometimes they're a little bit more nuanced than that. Walls can be moments in our life um, when maybe something big or small, but just these moments in our life when what we believe um, and what we see seem to struggle to find congruence. Uh, for a lot of you, this is an example, for a lot of you, a lot of folks that I've talked with, like an astounding number of people that I've talked to in the last five years. Uh, the 2016 election was a wall moment for so many people in their faith. Um, or another one that's come, that is more recent that comes up in so many conversations that I have, uh, one I, I mean, I literally had this week, is, um, is the response of the church Big C to racism this summer and the racial conversation this summer. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with folks in the last five years who are in the middle of the wall or like a deconstruction period of their faith that point back to one of these two events and in, in, um, the, these seasons of American life. Um, walls, whether overt and outward and clear uh, or inward and hidden or confusing, they are the moments in our life when we realize something along the, the lines of uh, the way I'm doing this just isn't working. It just isn't working. 
Uh, when it comes to the wall in our spiritual journey, we have three, uh, really, really just three choices. Um, we can walk backward, we can walk away, or we can walk through it. Uh, we can walk backward, and many of us choose to. We hit up against, the, against that wall, and then our step is to go back into like a stage three and stage two. A lot of us live in rotation between these two seasons and stages. Uh, actually, statistics say 85% of evangelicals uh, bounce up against the wall and walk backward. Uh, or walk away, uh, that, that we choose, uh, uh, we end up walking a deconstruction that leads outside of trust, uh, outside of faith, um, or we learn how to walk through. And stage four is a lot about walking uh, through the wall, a season of walking through the wall. In some cases, uh, the wall is what drives us uh, to an inward journey. And then in plenty of cases, an inward journey is kind of what leads us to the wall. These things can kind of switch in order. Um, it, season four, it's an incredibly personal Season. It's a season or stage that's often marked by questions or doubting, uncertainty, uh, confusion, grief, depression. Um, it, it, it's, it's sort of a hard-to-explain stage or a hard-to-explain season because it tends to be incredibly personal. Um, but often, the best way I know to describe it is often uh, stage four, season four, it's like an unsettled feeling on your feet that you thought were really steady. Um, it's a season marked by that nagging feeling that something isn't working. Um, a pastor that I, I like, John Wood, uh, who used to pastor Cedar Springs in Knoxville forever ago, he, when he talks about a relationship with Jesus, he compares it to the Appalachian Trail. And he says, we all start out in Georgia and we've got so much stuff in our backpack and we're 100% sure we're going to use all of it. We fit as much stuff as we can. And he says, eventually you get to like Tennessee or Georgia and something happens and you realize that all the stuff you put in, not all the stuff you put in your backpack is working anymore. Uh, stage four is Tennessee or Virginia in that illustration. Um, while the wall, uh, whether it's at the beginning or the middle or the end of season four, stage four, while it is an incredibly dark and difficult time, stage four has the potential to be one of the sweetest and deepest times in our journey with Jesus. To even dare to live in stage four requires the courage of walking through the wall, uh, a long and dark season. Um, because while it can be filled with uncertainty, stage four is also a place of healing uh, from our past and processing the present. It opens up dreaming for the future. Stage four, if we dare to journey in it and through it, it can be a place of building great trust in the Father and a deeper knowledge of ourselves. It isn't something to fear, it's something to embrace. I um, was talking about this uh, critical journey in a group of pastors one time, and one of the pastors uh, saw this and she said, oh gosh, so as the church, we're just supposed to keep everybody out of the wall and then nothing bad has to happen. And, and that's actually the opposite is true. And I'm afraid the church has done a lot of like uh, not making room for the wall, not embracing it as part of the journey, part of a critical journey, a season of apprenticeship. So. Uh, let's go on to stage five or season five, uh, outward or called the journey outward, the outward journey. Um, season five, stage five, it's a season of walking in greater freedom. Uh, in the critical journey, uh, the book, the authors, they define freedom. I love this definition. They define freedom as living without grasping. 
Isn't that beautiful? Living without grasping. Season five is learning to live without grasping. Uh, after coming through the wall, after coming through a season of crisis in body or spirit and family or faith, uh, after coming through the intense inner work of season four and journeying through the wall, uh, season five, in season five, we begin to kind of ease our way out of the cave. Uh, but we're easing out a little bit differently. Season five, it's a stage of wider and longer tables. It's a season of accepting mystery and relinquishing our panicked grasp for control. Uh, it's marked by an ease of empathy and mercy and grace for ourselves and for other people. Uh, stage five, it comes with an acknowledgement of the world as it is, not just how we would hope it to be. Uh, most people, the reality is most people and most Christians live uh, in fantasy. And the outward journey, it exists uh, well acquainted, deeply acquainted with reality, but also uh, deeply filled with joy. Not shallow, happy, but deep, deep joy. Uh, John Mark Comer, who I talked about earlier, talking about the apprenticeship, um, he defines the piece of stage five um, as the, uh, uh, the radical acceptance of what is. This is how he says it. He says that in stage five, we realize this is my body. This is my story. This is my life. This is my joy. This is my wound. These are my failures. This is what I've done. This is what I've not done. This is what has been done to me. This is what has not been done to me. This is my marriage, how it is. This is my singleness, how I am. It is a radical acceptance of these things. If there was ever proof that you can't um, skip from one stage to another, I think this is that. Um, I can't experience this kind of joy and this kind of reality and this kind of acceptance or offer this kind of vulnerability uh, to people about my life and my heart and my experience until I have experienced the awakening and discipleship and action and the wall and the inward journey. I have to go through all of them if I'm ever going to get here. Uh, one more thought here. Uh, this radical and supernatural acceptance of reality in stage five, uh, this uh, radical and supernatural joy in stage five, um, they can't help but lead us outward. Uh, stage five uh, is, is, uh, is similar to stage three in that it leads us out into the world. We have an inward journey and then an outward journey back into a place of giving and doing and serving. And it might even look similar to what stage three looked like for us. Uh, like maybe you volunteered in kids ministry in stage three and then something happened in your life blew up and you walked away for a while. Um, you walked through a wall and then in stage five, you end up back in kids ministry. Um, but but the doing and the giving and the serving, they, they take place in a new way. They're motivated by a new place out of a new grounded center of ourselves and a new and grounded center uh, in our journey with God. Our outward service gets new motivation, uh, a service and a presence with other that, others that comes from a place of freedom, a dedication to reality, and a steadfast faith and hope in Jesus. Uh, I heard someone say that in stage five, we stop caring what other people think about us and we start caring about other people in a truer way than we ever have before. People here, they have bad days for sure, but the general trajectory of life in stage five is marked by joy and non-anxious presence. They enjoy places and people and things without putting the pressure on those things to fill them up, to fill up their souls. 
I, I love being with people who uh, live in this season of life. If you don't have, if you are following Jesus and you don't have anyone in your life that you would say is living here, um, keep your eyes peeled. Go find one, pray for one, look uh, for one. Um, if we want to be follow Jesus and be an apprentice, and that's why I'm talking so long about this stage, because there's something so hopeful about knowing where we're headed, knowing what's on the other side, knowing what's coming. Um, if you know my friend Doug Floyd from St. Brendan's, we do a lot with St. Brendan's. Part of the reason I love being with him is I think he lives here. He is marked by radical joy, um, a true reality, and he is a non-anxious presence in the world. Okay, last stage. Stage six. Are you still hanging with me? <laughs> stage six uh, is love. Um, I've heard this stage being called life of love or transformed by love. Um, stage six is a deep and true awareness uh, that the beginning and the end goal of, a, of following Jesus, of an apprenticeship of Jesus, of renewal, of resurrection, of the kingdom of God, uh, the beginning and the end is love. Uh, Huck is obsessed with this Avett Brothers song and we scream out this line all, all the time that says, the very last word is love. I'm a great singer. Um, but uh, we love it because the very last word is love. Uh, John Wesley, one of the founders of Methodism, he describes stage six as the season that Christ's love becomes our love, both toward God and others. The season that Christ's love becomes our love, both toward God and others. Uh, our text that Aaron read to us just a few minutes ago says it like this, verse 16, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows to become more perfect. It's a season marked by deep surrender and obedience and rest and peace with God and with ourselves and with others. Uh, people in this season of their journey with Jesus, uh, they have these characteristics. They are filled with God's spirit, overflowing with God's spirit. Um, but it's sort of quiet. It's non-anxious. It's non-assuming. They are content, but even more than content, they're like radically grateful, like wildly catch your attention, grateful. I, I read a book where a lady was grateful for the way cheese looked going through a grater, like crazy stuff. They just live grateful. And they have this sense of wonder in them. Uh, stage six is like the best parts of little kid wonder and the wisdom that only comes with being older all mixed into one. The little kid wonder and joy and the wisdom of old age. Um, unfortunately, but honestly, there aren't a lot of people who uh, live in the season on this side of heaven. Uh, old age isn't a guarantee of being in stage six. Like I said, you can't skip the other stages. You, you just can't. But those who are, those who live here, uh, they exist like markers in our lives, like signposts of where the whole thing is headed. They are evidence of uh, the complete freedom and humanity and divine that Jesus is always offering us, evidence that the last word truly is love. Uh, that the end goal of this journey is, is uh, to become love, not flimsy and flippant love like Jesus on the cross, sacrificial love and peace and joy and hope in the face of an honest reality. It's good news, right? Um, last thing, 
Just a few more notes, and then I promise we're we're closing things up. Thank you for being patient in my class. Um, uh, first is this. Uh, these processes and stages, this isn't just linear. Um, if, if we could make it 3D and make it look more like a spiral, uh, that's what we do. They are places and stages and season that, that we find ourselves in over and over again. Like, I wish I could tell you that you're only going to experience one wall, uh, but that just isn't true. It just isn't true. We might have a handful or two of walls that we experience in our life, of, of those dark nights of the soul in our life. And then the last thing, um, if, if, you're, if you're listening and you would say that you are in a wall, that that's the season of life that you're living in now, I just want to say a few things directly to you. The first is, I am sorry. It, it is excruciating. Um, number two, how long will it last? I don't know. There's no set time period. No prescription. Number three, uh, you aren't alone. People have walked before you into similar places. You aren't alone. Number four, the only way out is through, or the most free way out is through. It's not bumping up and walking backwards. I'm not convinced it's walking away. I think the most free way is to find our way through it. Number five, This is the biggest one. You haven't been abandoned. You have not been abandoned. I know it feels that way. Uh, I've been there. This is the season that feels like God fled and he got out of town. Uh, Prayers feel empty and hope feels like a practical joke. Uh, but But even here in this darkness and in this night, even when you don't feel like it kind of, or maybe you don't even want to feel like it kind of, you live under the care of Jesus who hasn't gone away. The wall is a very true story in life, but there is another story that overshadows it, a story of a great love that covers all of the darkness. Uh, The writers of The Critical Journey, they say this about the wall. They say the wall is a dark and sacred place that reeks of God. In the wall, we are vulnerable enough to listen to what God is saying, whether in the guise of other people's voices, God's voice, or a serendipitous experience. Once we believe that God is in the midst of the darkness with us, it can be a transforming place. We don't necessarily get cured or erase our pain or become saints, but we learn how to embrace our pain, how to stay with it, and we learn what it's trying to teach us, how to look fear in the face and to keep moving with it. The wall invites us to heal. Uh, We're here for you. We are, the journey through the wall, it can be very lonely, but you aren't alone and it's almost impossible to journey through it alone. So this is why we have core groups. This is why uh, we exist as pastors is uh, to meet with you. Some of the most valuable moments in my life have been sitting at tables talking about the wall, uh, walking hand in hand with people through the wall like people have for me over and over and over again. Uh, And it doesn't just have to be one of us on staff. One of the things I love most about our church is that um, it's a place full of people willing to walk uh, through long and dark seasons with patience uh, with you, willing to be patient and kind, reminders that love is the beginning and love is the middle and love is the end. Uh, So here's what I wanna do for our Selah today. Uh, I wanna sit quiet for a moment and then I just wanna pray and I wanna bless you. This is a lot of information, and so I just want us to take a minute and and kind of take it all in. So let's be quiet and we'll pray.
So, Father, I pray that as we um, kind of process all of this, look back over this information, that you would be near to us. Uh, that as we do it, we you would give us eyes that aren't judgmental, that aren't condescending, that aren't shaming, that you would get rid of the voice in us that says we should be somewhere else, we should be somewhere different, we shouldn't be where we are. And I pray that this information would become a radical invitation from you to see the world as it is, but also to, at the same moment, see what we hope for to be radically transformed by your love. I pray for those of us that are uh, in the middle of the wall. And I say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. I pray for the courage to not walk alone. I pray that uh, the power of your spirit uh, would break through what feels so dark and so hopeless and so lonely. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.